Hey there, I fixed my little tech thing going on there. And joining me in the studio today, I have Amy Scalbretto from the Juno Community Foundation. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I am doing all right. You know, it's been a pretty busy morning with tech being a bit goofy here and there. But, you know, you make it work. Can be challenging. Exactly. (laughs) But we actually have quite a list of things to talk about today. I think the first one I want to do is kind of touch base on something we talked about previously, the Nonprofit Housing Development Fund. I think I got it right there. You did get it right. All right, good. And um, that's great. I'd love to provide a short update on it. Uh, First off, we are moving forward as far as individual organizations are constructing new housing and remodeling old housing in order to provide additional rooms. So the Glory Hall is raising funds to convert the old Glory Hall to seven uh, retail or seven um, housing units plus a retail space downstairs. And they've received grants from several organizations, including Rasmussen, Weinberger, and uh, the Murdoch Foundation. So they're on the road to raising the funds they need in order to complete that um, remodel. AWARE is finishing their seven apartments that they've been working on, and both AWARE and the Glory Hall are accepting donations, of course, um, from community members in order to assist with this. And then the third one is the 28 new rooms at Housing First Forget-Me-Not Manor. Um, The building plans are done. They've uh, selected a builder, and that's going to be moving forward um, really quickly here. So all in all, things are moving forward. And the real priority, I think, in this area is going to be how do we get long-term in the long term is how do we raise the funds that are needed as a community in order to provide housing to those folks who earn less than 30% of the area median income. Um, and that's the housing that we're looking at nonprofits providing the, those units for. Gotcha. I think it's interesting. I want to kind of circle back to how you were describing the glory hall because I know that would be considered a mixed use development, I believe is the term. And so it's interesting to hear that that's one of the sort of remodels being done because oftentimes you don't hear about those ones too often. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it it lends, the building lends itself to that because downstairs was the kitchen and the eating area when it was the old glory hall when it was being used. And then upstairs were the sleeping quarters and the office uh, offices for the folks that work there. And so Remodel is taking the office space and um, taking the bedrooms and remodeling all that so that you have seven individual units. Oh, okay. And the the great thing about having the downstairs is that it will be generating income um, that will help support the building, the overall building and the glory hall. Gotcha. I know one theory about a use of that kind of a structure is you could have, you know, the folks who live in the building also just work for the retail space below it, thus kind of, in a way, kind of encapsulates its own little miniature economy. You work in the building, thus, then that helps you benefit later. You don't have to travel as far. Say it it ended up being like a grocery store, for instance, then you could be like, well, there's also a little grocery store down there, so I can take care of that there. And you could sort of centralize those things. You could. I think you'd have to have Maria Levashuk on your show to talk about exactly the plans there. I know that there's been several different um, businesses and nonprofits that have been interested in the downstairs. So, 
Gotcha. I was just throwing on my old, uh, one of my many hats from things I thought about doing before I ended up doing this, because I thought about doing a lot of things. And there then you go. This was the route I ended up deciding on. Okay. And so having kind of touched on that, I think it is always good to hear about more developments in sort of housing areas, because obviously, as you and I both are aware, housing has always going to be has been a big issue. It's still going to be a big issue until we can take some more concrete action on that. Exactly. And that's for all levels of housing. And so... You know, folks who are building the for-profit builders or building housing, it's like it's a all-hands-on-deck kind of thing for housing in, in Juneau and in many places across the country. So Definitely. Now, one thing I want to touch base with you with, because I know Jazz was out there when this was going on, is hospice and home care is open up again. Yeah, it's really exciting to see um, that uh, Bartlett Regional Hospital has now opened up hospice and home care. It's over above the food land um, in the you know, round back there. And um, it's great to see the Juno Community Foundation has been a strong supporter of hospice and home care for years. And we have a hospice, a Juno Hospice Endowment Fund. Um, this year, we provided about 171, a little over 171 thousand dollars to assist with Bartlett's um, m- with the movement of hospice and home care from Catholic Community Services to um, Bartlett Regional Hospital, and for them to be able to help them to be able to open this new hospice and home care area. It's great. So. No, definitely. It is a very important service to offer because I know when uh, Jazz was interviewing some of the folks there that that is a service that had been lacking for a little while. And that's a very important one to have, especially because, you know, we're talking end of life care. Right. And our population is getting older. And um, it's just something that having both hospice and home care available is really critical to our community. Um, It helps people stay in their homes. It also uh, helps reduce overcrowding at the hospital because you, you know, when you get to that end of life stage, if you um, need to have that that particular care, it's great to have hospice and home care available. Definitely, as someone who kind of grew up in that environment when I was younger, because my mother she works for for Providence, and so uh, specifically Providence Extended Care. So you would that was some of what I was kind of around when I was younger. So I do understand in my. In a kind of an expanded capacity, the importance that that kind of service offers for folks. So I think it, I would agree it is good to hear that it's opened up again, especially, like I said, because of what kind of service it's offering. Yeah, and I think they really assist families and friends as well. So it's a pretty all-encompassing sort of support for, for folks. Definitely. Now, the last sort of uh, sort of catch-up one I wanted to hit with you is you, I understand that you recently just closed or finished up with the individual artist grants. Yes. Um, so on the grants that we've given out, our um, Arts Vibrancy Endowment has every year individual artist awards. And that just closed recently. We had a good showing of applicants, and um, they're going to be announcing those awards in the not-too-distant future. So it's one $10,000 award, two $5,000 awards, and two $2,500 awards. So Ooh, Okay. Yeah. And so and what could those artists use those awards for? It's, it's really... Uh, broad range. I mean, it's for the artists to use them as they see fit to be able to enhance their artistic work. And um, it's really building that vibrant arts community in Juneau by supporting artists. Okay. 
because I was thinking of an example in my brain of a hypothetical. It's like, well, say someone does a whole show that's just talking about, you know, folklore for a while. Would that count as an art grant topic? <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to, um, you'd have to consider how you how you wrote that. I think. I think you so, would. You yeah. definitely would. All right. And now I think one more thing I wanted to hit, because we only have about, looks a little, not too long left in this first half, is I want to touch base on flood funding in relation to that. Yeah. So we started um, a Juno, um, a Mendenhall flood relief fund um, at the request of some donors who wanted to be able to give locally. And um, we've been collecting some funds there. I also, you know, there's also several different ways that people can help um, friends, family, neighbors, and others. Um, I think the CBJ website at this point in time has the best listing of how to help uh, folks who are in need. It's something where if you want to give to an individual, you really should you know, provide a check to them or go through a GoFundMe site or something like that. Um, then there's the Red Cross that's providing more widespread support. And for the Community Foundation, when folks give to us, it has to go to a nonprofit. Um, and so we would be supporting nonprofits that are helping to provide relief. And it could be anything from um, some something through the Red Cross to um, individual organizations that provide social services, but also could be um, litter-free or coastal cleanup um, because community-wide, there's, gonna, there's an impact from um, the really the destruction that occurred from that flooding. And uh, a lot of that is ending up on the shores and, the, and on our coastline in the wetlands, things like that. Definitely. Well, we do have to move into our break. When we come back, we'll continue talking on that, as well as a few other topics I actually have listed here. So do not go anywhere. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And we are back with more Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis. And joining me in the studio still, I have Amy Skilbert from the Juno Community Foundation. Now, I did want to sort of finish up our conversation that we started toward the end of the first half, which is talking about, you know, that funding in response to the Mendenhall River flooding. And I think you mentioned a key point there is that it is all going towards nonprofits. And I think that is a pretty significant part of that. Yeah, it is significant because there's a lot of people who've contacted us who want funds to go directly to specific people, and um, we were not able to do that. Um, that's part of the IRS rules with our, our funding. Um, when people give to us, it's uh, tax deductible, and so we have restrictions on how we can give. But I think it's also important to look at community-wide impacts of things um, such as the flooding and, you know, how can, how can we help there? And that's where, that's where we're going to be focused. Definitely. And so you see, how long do you see that fund being necessary for the foreseeable future? I, I think in about a month, we'll know about how much funding we're going to receive and we're likely to try and get it out fairly quickly um, so that it can be used. Um, you know, hopefully it's not needed eh, for several years to come kind of thing. Um, that's all going to depend on the Yuckalup and the glacier and um, the, how much water is in Suicide Basin when the Yuckalup happens. 
Definitely. But it is something to keep in mind and be optimistic about. I think that's the mindset we need to have. Is exactly. Be yeah. like, it'll only be for a little bit. It's not going to be for a long term. Right. Gotcha. Now, my next big topic I want to hit with you because it happens to work perfectly with something that's happened recently is obviously schools are back in session. So I also know that there's some funding in relation to the Juno Montessori School. Yeah, the Juno Montessori um, School has started a fund with us to support the school. And we have a lot of nonprofits that establish funds in order to be able to have a source of income every year. Um, some are established as stewardship funds, and that means that they are not um, strictly endowed. If they're strictly endowed, then they could only be used um, a portion of them every year. But some, the stewardship funds are more for organizations that want to have an endowment, but they don't want it to be tied up as an endowment. So if something's needed and they need to take more money out, they're able to do that. And so we're excited to have them on as a new fund and people can give to it um, through junocf.org. Gotcha. And you're saying that it's a new fund, so that only started this year? Just started um, about two weeks ago. Oh, okay. So very, very new. Very new. Yeah. Okay. And I am curious as to why specifically the Montessori school would need a fund like that. Well, Juno Montessori has a separate school that's over on Douglas, and um, this is a fund that supports that program. Okay. That is about what I thought, but I do always need confirmation before I make certain statements. That is par for the course in my profession. And so I guess what's interesting to me along with that, it is, you know, it is its own separate thing, is was there a particular reason that they approached you guys about getting that fund started? Or We have a lot of, uh, we have probably 15 or so different um, nonprofits in town that have started um, stewardship funds or endowments with us. And I think part of that is um, this is where we are in the sort of, somewhere in the middle of the largest turning over of wealth in our country ever. And so having funds like this is an ability, uh, provides an ability for people to give um, significantly now or through a bequest. And I think organizations are looking at that, especially, especially those that have been around for several years and are looking at how do you develop a fund that can help support ongoing operations in years to come. Gotcha. Okay. I think it is interesting kind of to see some of these philanthropic efforts. I've never heard of a, personally, I've never heard of a stewardship. Could you maybe elaborate on that a bit more for me? Yeah, it's just our way of distinguishing between a long-term fund that is um, strictly an endowment and one that's more open, meaning that you could take more than just the specific spending amount that we provide each year. Okay. You can, I would say, I'm not in a financial position to know about a lot of these kinds of funds. That's called I'm still a broke post uh, postgrad. That's kind of how that <laughs> there goes. There you go. Now, my next one I want to talk to you about is the Friends of Gustavus Fund. Now, that was another one that is new to me. So, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, the Friends of Gustavus Fund was started about four years ago, and it's been consistently building over time. And they've decided that this year they would like to do their first grant um, application process and awards, and it's for nonprofits in Gustavus. And so the Juno Community Foundation, while most of our effort is focused in Juno, we also provide support to funds in other communities, especially northern southeast Alaska. And um, 
That's going to be op- starting on September 1st. It'll be open for the grant applications, and then they're due by November 1st. So. Okay. And I think it's interesting. I didn't know that the Juno Community Foundation did a lot of those efforts within the larger northern southeast area, at least as you mentioned. I thought you would think, given the name, it is very Juno-focused. Correct. We are a, a substantial foundation for a community foundation, um, and we are able to support others, other communities that would like to um, start funds and other specifically people who would like to start funds. So we have a couple of funds from Seward and, uh, I mean, Seward, uh, from Skagway. And then um, we have a couple of funds that are out of Sitka. Um, and we, um, we're open to those, especially because people like to give in Southeast Alaska when they live here. And I think that's why they come to us. So. Okay. I was going to make a joke. Had you not caught yourself, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Seward is South Central. <laughs> but you did catch yourself, so I won't restrain from making a joke there. Now, in the tradition of how I am as an interviewer, is there anything in particular that you've actually, because I see you brought a whole list of topics to, to chat with me about. Is there anything that you wanted to chat with me about that I haven't actually asked yet, despite my list of topics? Well, I want to go over, you mentioned about school starting, and it is. And so there's a couple of other things that we do with the school district, or mostly to support kids in the schools, and that's the... Um, backpack program that's being run this year by Douglas Community United Methodist Church, and they are actually the folks that started the backpack program, which provides food on the weekend for students who who need food. And um, they have gotten a lot of assistance in the past year or so from the Rotary Clubs, all of them throughout Juneau, and are looking for support again this year, also funding and volunteer efforts. And um, it's a great program because actually they're providing about 500 um, kids with food over the weekend. And then we are continuing um, working with Super Bear IGA on providing vacation boxes um, to kids during the long vacations because kids who are food insecure and when you have a 20, 19, 20 day vacation as we do in the winter, it's good to have some extra food. And so um, we've been working on that and we're able to do both these things because of uh, broad community support for it and people who've given to our Food for Kids Fund. And we're, um, yeah, we're very grateful for everyone who's been giving. So it's it's a great great thing to do because who wants kids to be hungry ideally nobody that's right that is always my brain I'm like ideally that is something that is a universally agreed upon thing if we don't want any child to go hungry I remember some kids when I was in school that you could tell that that was kind of the situation that was going on and so there were some efforts done back then but obviously on an individual level there's only so much you can do so it's great to see these kinds of you know larger funds and you know programs that can help tackle that issue at a larger scale yeah, and we help out with the Universal Breakfast Program as well. And that's um, always been a, you know, ever since that started to be a Universal Breakfast Program in Juneau for students, it just has become a, a really nice way for kids to um, 
get food in the morning, be able to you know, settle down. And it's hard to concentrate when you're hungry, as we all know. Right? Oh, yeah. We go get lunch. We go do what we need to do. So I say that, especially as someone who requires quite a lot to function, especially at my scale. You need, you need to be able to focus on what you've got to do, especially even as a student. Right. This is also me speaking in my uh, post-grad mode. You definitely need a lot <laughs> to focus as a student, for sure. And so, no, it's very cool to hear about those kinds of programs going on. I think it's very good to be tackling that issue. And, you know, every bit helps. Every bit helps there. Exactly. And that's why we're grateful to folks in Juno who keep giving to the Food for Kids Fund, which you can find all of these on our website, which is junocf for communityfoundation.org. So junocf.org. All righty. Well, Amy, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come in and talk with me today. It's always fun hearing about what the Juno Community Foundation is working on, and it also keeps me informed on any potential new news stories, which is always helpful for me. There you go. <laughs> thank Alrighty. you. All righty. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.